Hi there, and welcome to Frollo, the single parent podcast. I'm your host, Zoe Desmond, single parent and founder of Frollo, the single parent community app. Frollo is all about empowering the single parent experience through friendship, community and support. And this podcast brings you conversations with other single parents about their experiences and the challenges and rewards that go hand in hand with raising a child by yourself. There are so many different aspects to single parenting, and I think it's about time we put a more positive spin on the term single parent, because one thing is for sure, single parents are truly incredible. I hope you enjoy this episode of Frollo, the Single Parent Podcast. Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Frollo Podcast. Today, I am chatting to Katie Jones, otherwise known as the nurse mom on socials. Katie is mom to Jackson, who was born with a life-threatening illness and multiple syndromes. Katie, it's so lovely to reconnect. The last time we saw each other, we were just mentioning before we started recording was the Frollo Mother's Day event, which was two years ago. It's unbelievable. Time has absolutely flown, but it's good memories. It's good memories. It was such a great night and (laughs) it was just, yeah, loved having you there. It was such a great crew. It was really special. It was. Everyone was so lovely you did it so well and everyone got to interact and engage and chat and meet new people it was it was great it was the early days wasn't it it was very early days it was actually pre the app even launching at that time so Katie how are you first and foremost how are how are you and Jackson after the insane year that we've had I think just like everybody else, just a bit numb inside. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a bit desperate for normality, a bit, a bit, well, more than a bit drained. And just, yeah, there's not been any excitement for a long time, has there? There's not been things to look forward to. And just the joys of life have been sort of I know. back to basics, haven't they? Absolutely. And, you know, I can only imagine that for some people, it's been significantly more testing and challenging than others. So I'm sure mm. you've felt like you're in that category. So what? How, how old is Jackson now, Katie? He's three. He'll be four in August. Okay. And how is he? How is he at the moment? He's okay. He's doing all right. He's, um... He's attending a special needs school, which is great. He absolutely loves that. And it's so nice to see him have so much joy when it comes to something and have another network of support. Um, The teachers there care about him so much and that that just means the world. Um, We've just got out of hospital again. He was in last week. Um, And obviously that's just a bit of our normal, really. I think he's been in about four times during the pandemic. Um, which is obviously the last place anyone actually wants to go um, at this time. Is that a routine thing that happens or does something come up? And Yeah, it's... things come up. There's always, it's always like an urgent admission kind of thing. Um, mainly he's got kidney problems and um, he doesn't control his electrolytes well, which um, 
keep our, our whole body functioning essentially um and he he vomits every day he has done since he was born which is another battle that i'm fighting at the moment to try and get answers and investigations and things but one of the things that triggers is it triggers um him to lose things that he needs essentially and that his kidneys already get rid of that we all all maintain ourselves quite normally um and so often he could just catch a common cold or a bug or anything and if it makes him vomit that little bit more than he already does normally um it can become quite urgent quite quickly um and so we end up in hospital last year he was on the high dependency unit um i mean just an example really we he was vomiting slightly more, so I thought, oh, right, let me, This he's a bit off, I need to get him checked over. And usually it's that he needs a blood test to check that his kidneys are uh, managing the things that his body needs. And we go in, and every single time, for some reason, every single time I always think, it's going to be fine, and you're going to have taken him into hospital for no reason, and, it, you know, it's it's going to be, you've you've made the wrong judgment call kind of thing. And then, the time it's not every single time he he does need uh, he ends up getting admitted but on that occasion we had carers and um they were overnight with him and i think we had a couple of hours left of the night and i thought right he's in a and e i'm used to this because although it's urgent you get quite familiar with the process of what needs to be done to get him back to stable or to get him back to normal um and so I was like, right, they're going to put him on IVs. He's going to need to be checked for 24 hours. They're going to need to keep doing blood tests to check him. Um, so I'm going to be needed to be on, like, high alert tomorrow daytime with the doctors and everything. So I need to go home for this couple of hours while his care is here and get some sleep so I can come back uh, ready for the day. Obviously, not ready for the day on two hours sleep, but, you know, as best as I can. Yeah. And um, I was driving back and the carer messaged me and she was like, oh, he needs to go to the high dependency unit. And I was like, what, why? Um, and she was like, I says, I'm on my way. Just tell them I'm on my way. And she was like, okay, they're waiting for you. So obviously I'm, you know, rushing there as quickly as I can. And then I pulled it, put the car park. And she was like, Katie, they're not waiting for you. He's going, he's... Oh, God. And my heart, I was literally crying. My eyes were streaming on oh. the way up there, um, just running to be by his side. And when I got up there... He's got these defibrillators on his chest, pads on his chest where they're ready to, they're preparing for him to go into cardiac arrest. And oh, you know, it sounds a lot, but that's kind of, it's not so out of the ordinary for us. I mean, I say that, but then if you pick, I imagine with that, you'd picture sort of a child really ill and lying down and, you know, barely conscious. And actually he was sat upright, drinking, having a look round because he's really asymptomatic. He doesn't really show on the outside, what's going on on the inside. Um, but that's basically what happens with this quality. Oh, poor thing. I can, um, that is so stressful. And yeah, and does Jackson, you know, you were saying he was sitting up and sort of seemed, I guess, well in himself in that respect. But do you think that he's almost kind of used to these situations um, no, or how does he respond? He's very familiar with the hospital. So he's very familiar with staff and uniforms and masks and things like that. He's not, you know, he's not opposed to them. I imagine if you've got a child that hasn't been in hospital before, it's a bit of a like, whoa, what's this kind of thing? You know, what's these surroundings? He doesn't have that element to it, but he does require a lot of blood tests, which he absolutely screams about that are really traumatic oh. for him. So there's that element to it. But he's also really good at, you know, 
just he will play with the the nurses he'll entertain everybody even with those who have lip pads on um and so he's he's quite uh spectacular <laughs> in that one. He's probably i think they say that about children isn't it that i always think that he doesn't have i don't imagine he has that sort of memory because adults we can often live in the past a bit or definitely you know really sit on something and really stew it and you know overthink things or you know if i get told oh you've got to bring him in tomorrow let's say last week uh, his bloods were abnormal on tuesday so they said you need to bring him in uh, they called me on uh, thursday and they were like you need to bring him in tomorrow so it was kind of planned but kind of not um and so that thursday night you know i'm thinking over everything i'm overthinking you know i'm worrying about how he's going to feel i'm worrying about the blood test how traumatic it's going to be for him how long yeah. he'll be in for and he doesn't i don't think he has that well i know he doesn't from the, from the the warning side of things because obviously i don't tell him you know oh we're going into hospital tomorrow for him to <laughs> to panic and worry but i also don't think he's got that level of understanding yet anyway which i think is a blessing absolutely anyways and Katie, so Jackson, as he said, is almost four now. So, you know, going back, say, five years in mm. time, what did your life look like? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> well, the year before I had him, actually, I was um, traveling. So I was at uni. I was a student nurse. I did a lot of pole dancing for fitness, I'll add in there. Um, so I was quite active and I just, I think I did um, like a placement in Madrid as part of uni to do a Spanish course. I went to Thailand and did a nursing elective course over. Amazing. There. I stayed for an extra four weeks, partied with Anthony Joshua. <laughs> nice. <laughs> when you think, like, I had a good year, you know. <laughs> like, that sounds like a very good year. Yeah, um, it's interesting, isn't it, when you look back pre-children? Because it's like you can't imagine life without them. Yeah, <laughs> that's changed a lot. That's why. That's why I asked. I always think it's really interesting to get a sense of somebody, be, you know, pre-mom, pre-pre-mom, exactly. And so Jackson's dad. Had you met him at this point? Was Jackson's dad on the scene? Yeah. So I was with Jackson's dad for about six years before um, I had him. So I think, but we had broken the year before we broke up for about six months or maybe a little bit more. Um, we just weren't going on. It was a long time. We'd been arguing for, it felt like we'd been arguing for years or just disagreeing, bickering, those kinds of things. And we broke up and then um, we got back together after about eight months. Um, he proposed to me on the boxing day and I found out I was pregnant four days late. <laughs> no way. And then we broke up when Jackson was about three months old. So, I mean, I kind of feel like it just happened to, you know, to have Jackson. It was obviously meant to be. Yeah. Place, you know. Wow. To find out that you were pregnant four days later and was that, was that a surprise? It was a surprise, yeah. It definitely yeah. wasn't planned. I was still in uni. Um, but I had a diagnosis of uh, PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome. Right. And so I was just between all these different varieties of hormonal contraception and which one would work for me. You know, there's so many different types and so many different things that play havoc with your hormones and so many different symptoms to different things. I tried the pill, the patch, the injection, all these things. So I was in between some of those and yeah, it, it happened. <laughs> 
And so, sorry, when did you say that you and Jackson's dad broke up? Did you were you together during the pregnancy, or was it af- after the after the pregnancy? We broke up the year before. Um, he so let's say the year he was conceived. He was conceived at the end of the year. The year that year, like the summer, the the spring, we were broken up. We got back together. Okay. He was conceived. We got engaged. We were together for the pregnancy, but it was it, it kind of felt like things had gone back to how they were before we broke up if that makes sense you know the big yeah. arguing they're not seeing things the same way um and all, all that jazz so by the time you had jackson were you doing it on your own um so jackson jackson's dad was there with the we were still together up until jackson was about three months old okay um but his dad lived in London, which was the the long distance, and you know the questioning why we, you know, seen so you, you just question each other's decisions, don't you? A lot sometimes when things aren't going so well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he was working in London. At, he lived in his family were in London. We met in Nottingham um, the, the six years prior, and then I'd gone off to Leicester for uni, and he'd gone back to London where his family were for work. And yeah, it just didn't, it just wasn't working out so well. Um, we were just bickering. So when he was born, Jackson's dad was there for the birth. He was a great support for the birth. And I think it, me and Jackson, we went into hospital when Jackson was about six days old. Um, and his dad had been around for the first week, but then he had to go back to London the day before for something or other. Again, probably another cause of another argument of oh. Um And he went into hospital, and then his dad would kind of be back and forth between the hospital and London. Um, so it just, yeah, I, I basically lived in the hospital with Jackson. So when did it become apparent that Jackson had complications and health issues? So during pregnancy, I was deemed high risk because I had a lot of excess fluid called polyhydramnios. So I had to have frequent scans. So I think they were about every four weeks and then towards the end, every two weeks. Um, but every test that was sort of done to question why there was so much fluid came back as, as negative. So any sort of um, thing that they basically looked up to see if that was it, it wasn't. So there was kind of like an inkling there during pregnancy, you know, I'm high risk, there could be some complications, but I think we just think it would never happen to us. So I don't mm. remember ever being very concerned during pregnancy. Um, I think anything that did come up was sort of something that would be, uh, I mean, there was one thing that came up, which is an infection called CMV, which can cause disability. And that caused me loads of stress at one point of my pregnancy, but it came back negative. So that kind of brushed that off. And then after that, it was more things like, oh, he might need some kind of surgery when he's born because there might just be a blockage in his tract, which is making the the fluid just gather. Um, But again, I didn't really believe it. I signed these consent forms or whatever. And when he was born, we he passed all of the newborn checks there were no complications whatsoever when he was born um which was obviously a relief but not as much as a relief as i really knew because i i hadn't really expected it in a way i haven't been told you know 
hearing these high risks, blah, blah, blah. I didn't really register much. Um, so he passed all his newborn checks. Then he had jaundice, so he stayed in for a couple of days. But that was fine. It's really common. I wasn't worried about it at all. And then I think on maybe day three or four, when we were home, he had, like, a lump in his groin. So we went to A&E, and it was a hernia. But they said it can be operated, and in, like, six weeks, it's, it's fine. And, again, it was these a couple of things that are quite common or well-known and you know quickly repairable kind of thing and when he was six days old we went in and um i'd rushed him in from my mum's house because i just felt like he was floppier than normal it it seems like loads of things that really weren't that big of a deal but i just felt like something wasn't right and i rushed him in and they the doctors were brilliant they listened to me and basically did tests based on mum's instinct and nothing else because they could have really brushed it off as the the jaundice that he'd had and that, you know, making him sleep and making him not eat properly because he's just wearing off of it kind of thing. He's only six days old. But then they did all these tests and basically every test, kidney tests, heart tests, brain tests, urine tests, everything came back with something. And that was probably over about... For his first year, I was getting diagnosis after diagnosis. I mean, oh. first heart scan looked like there was a hole in his heart. Uh, his urine test came back that he was positive for CMV, which can cause severe disability. Um, his kidney scan showed uh, bilateral kidney reflux, which is where the urine goes back up to the kidneys after it's gone down to the bladder, which causes infections. Um, just There were just so many things, and... So they started to look into genetics and, you know, what syndromes and things like that. And I think it was just, there was just so much, honestly, so much compounded into that that one year. And I think when he was around three months, um, he'd been in for bronchitis and he was on oxygen and he, he was being tube fed and we never got back from the, he breastfed and bottle fed for a very short period of time, like a matter of weeks. And he never seemed to get what he needed from it. And eventually when he caught bronchitis and was on the oxygen, they needed to tube feed him and he, he never went back to the bottle since. Um, and when he was in for the bronchitis, before we got discharged, because we had been discharged previously and we would just literally get out for a matter of days and bounce back in for something else. Um, his his paediatrician was like, well, let's double check his heart again. I know it's supposed to be in six months' time, but it's been three months, let's just double check. And that's when we got his heart diagnosis that he's got... Um, uh, severe hypertrophic obstructive cardiomyopathy, which basically means his heart is like four times the size it should be. Um, right. So it's huge, but the the insides of it are very small, so it can't carry much blood. It's it's a lot of muscle basically, um, and that was life threatening. So we had a cardiologist from Leicester, the local cardiac centre, come over, and she basically told him. So I was like, oh, so are we going to be in here, you know, for a lot longer? And she was like, no, you can go home, um, but you know, you should make memories and you know he's at high risk of sudden death and it was just it was a lot it was a lot I'm just trying to imagine how you coped with with all of this it just seems like so much yeah it was I just felt like I was being physically hit over and over again different diagnoses and then I got his diagnoses of uh, his 1p36 deletion syndrome which is uh, part of a chromosome missing um, which can cause heart problems but not the one that he's got um seizures kidney problems learning disability because at this point as well i think he was three months and he wasn't smiling yet so there was a few milestones that just weren't quite being hit yet either he couldn't hold his head or anything like that 
So we got that, but then he then had so many problems with these kidneys and electrolytes and things that kept him in hospital that we still have problems with to this day, that it wasn't all fitting under this umbrella. At first, they tried to put it all under the CMV umbrella, this um, this diagnosis that can cause severe disability. But they, you know, the list of things that, that are known to CMV, he started to branch out of. So that's when they did the other tests and he got this 1P36 deletion syndrome. And then again... He just had so much going on that they didn't fit under, no matter how much they tried, they didn't fit under either of these umbrellas either. And then they did another genetic test when he was about eight months and he has something called Barter syndrome that affects his kidneys as well. And he is literally the only child in the world or the only person in the world with those two syndromes together, wow. um, which makes it really difficult to sort of predict the future or to know right. how they interact with one another because there's no evidence of it there's no you know there's no one else that's that's lived through it or gone through it um but i guess as well like the start of the question of whether his his dad was around at that point i remember getting the heart diagnosis and being on my own in the hospital with him and i'd just been told you know he's at high risk of of sudden death and you you know you need to do cpr training and you can go home it's fine but make memories do all the good things they were referring us to a children's hospice we had bereavement nurses involved i remember calling his dad and being like they've just told me this like i need you and he was like um i think it was like a thursday or friday and he's like oh okay i can get there on tuesday and it was just like it was one of those huge huge things that i really Mm. need to turn around and be like i'm good i'm on my way you Mm. know i'm gonna be there and he didn't he he couldn't or he didn't so it was there was just a lot and i think any any couple would probably struggle oh, with the that was going on never mind a couple that were already you know absolutely <laughs> well yeah i think having a baby even without health health complications puts mm. pressure on a, on a relationship you know but then i think with the amount of stuff that you were going through, the long distance, and then, of course, it's it's understandable. There was strain. But I'm just, again, trying to kind of piece together in my mind, like, how, how did you get through that time? Because that's so much for you to deal with the pressures of being an, a new mom, again, mm-hmm. anyway, without, without all of this. But then it's so much that's thrown your way bit mm-hmm. by bit like and and a relationship breakdown yeah it was it was a a lot and I I remember at the time almost feeling numb to it because I was saying to any professional that I could get my hands on like are there any because we pretty much lived in hospital we would get discharged and we'd bounce back in within a matter of days and then we'd be there for god knows how long again getting more and more diagnoses and I remember grabbing just any health professional and being like is there any counseling service I like I desperately need some kind of therapy because although I'm not breaking right now it's gonna happen I'm sure of it like logically on paper I can see everything I'm going through right now Mm. and I shouldn't be handling this how I am and I'm scared about when that time does come that it all crumbles down and there was just nothing um you know the best I could get was a nurse saying that they'd sit down with me and have a chat with me which is of course absolutely lovely but I felt like I needed that someone with the, the qualifications and the structure to provide me to help me get through any like PTSD or process or anything. Um, but that just wasn't available. And I guess I just didn't have a choice. Like the majority of time, it was just me in hospital with him. And if I wasn't there, then who was? Do you know what I mean? So yeah. it was literally, you know, whilst, and then I'm looking at this 
brand new little baby that's struggling and I'm, I'm I'm the person that he's looking at you know so I guess it was just he always came first of course mm-hmm. naturally as your child and so there just wasn't a choice you just got to keep going it becomes your normal in the strangest way um and yeah you just have to <laughs> get on with it I I did I will say I did meet somebody which is really odd and I right now I'm no longer with that person but I was with them for two years um really on from Jackson maybe being about four or five months old and I definitely think they got me through a lot just having okay. a person to lean on um to talk to to have a, a happy times with do you know what I mean to have some meal with or to go for a walk with or have a break with and yeah have that you know when you, you meet someone new as well you've got the excitement so I, I mm. did have like a little a little happiness on the side well I am so glad to hear that because I honestly I, I cannot understand how one person <laughs> could be built to contend with all of that alone without emotional support so I'm, I'm glad to hear that you did have a bit a bit of respite and I, I read that you say that as well as becoming a mother you became a self-taught physiotherapist occupational therapist speech and language therapist dietitian children's nurse and renal and cardiac specialist and more <laughs> so that kind of gives you know yeah a sense of the amount of responsibility mm. and weight and pressure mm. that's, that, that you've been under. Yeah, and, we, and credit to all of those professionals who do have those qualifications because obviously I can't claim to be doing what they do exactly. But, you know, a lot of the things that you learn, so for example, physiotherapy, speech and language therapy, you will have a professional come either into your home or into the hospital and tell you, what you can do for your child to help them speak, walk, move, you know, all these different things. And then it's down to you to do those things with them every day, religiously. And, you know, you might check back in two weeks or if they're doing well a month or, you know, might see them in six weeks' time or you might not see them for six months. You know, some areas there have been um, a a lot, well, there has been a lot of understaffing. And so, you know, things, things do get missed. So as the parent, you do have to take on those roles in order to give your child the best chance when they are facing challenges. Absolutely. Well, I can't even imagine. I mean, even I just think back to things like weaning and, you know, there's just so many things that just feel so kind of... It's a whole different world because I can't even imagine those things. I can't imagine... Because I've not had a child before, this is my only experience of parenting. So I can't imagine it being any different either in a strange way. Yeah. And what would, so what would a typical day with Jackson and his care needs look like? Um, so we start the morning with, um, medications. All of his medications have to be uh, given at set times and, a lot of them interact with each other, so they have to give it separately. Uh, for example, some should be given with food, some have to be an hour before food. So uh, typically an hour before his, should we call it breakfast, uh, it's just a milk formula, prescription milk formula. Um, I have to do two sets of medications, then a tube feed over an hour um, from like 
6.30 till 7.30. Um, at the moment, because he's going to school, he'll then have more medications and then he'll get on his school bus, which is cute. And um, nah. he'll go to school. And usually if it's a school day, that means I am uh, writing emails, taking phone calls, doing what the admin side of things that I need to do for him. I mean, right now I've just spent an hour writing a complaint, unfortunately, um, because of something I've been chasing for a year now that's not been done regarding his vomiting. And that's fairly common. Um, other things like phone calls with those therapists that we just mentioned. Um, I've got a meeting with his uh, speech and language therapist after this. And then he'll come home. Uh, we'll do more feed Leo's with school about how many nappies he's had because uh, he's still in nappies and um, due to his kidney problems I need to keep monitor his his input and output uh, how many vomits if he's had any vomits at nursery or at school um, and then he'll come home we will do bath time play time whatever time for an hour whatever he wants to do or a walk and then he has um, another tube feed for an hour before more medications um and medications with that feed as well and he has to be in a chair for all of his feeds that last an hour and sometimes if he's nauseous they'll go on for two hours they have to slow the rate down so that they're going a bit slower um to try and prevent any vomiting but that is a daily occurrence for him and then um bedtime you, there's also a lot of his his gastrostomy site where the tube goes into his tummy so there's dressings around there's looking after the skin around there and we have problems with that at the moment with it leaking so i've got a lot of phone calls with gastrostomy nurses i've just spoken to one this morning actually about different dressings to try and the surgical review and things like that um and then bedtime he's usually he's actually a really good sleeper generally um and will sleep through but regardless of that he has still has medications due at um 8 p.m 9 p.m 10 p.m and midnight and um he has a bottle of water overnight that he drinks orally that has medication in it as well and he's currently losing weight so i have to do a, a late night uh feed as well between 11 and 12 11 p.m and 12 a.m um because you can't squash them closer together or he'll he'll vomit again so um do you have carers that support with that at the, so moment? At the moment we do and we have done but it's been an ongoing battle uh as i'm talking to you now we're in a bit of a strange situation well we we often are because they told us they were stopping in january i appealed it so we had sort of a discussion in February. They were supposed to get back. No, we had a discussion in January. They were supposed to get back to me mid-February to tell me what was going on and I've not heard from them. So I feel like I'm constantly winging it with them, to be honest. At the moment, they're still coming. and We've still got them, but I don't know how long that will last. I mean, last night we had a Akira and she said, you know, he was up for two hours in the night screaming because also he's on a really high dose of potassium medication at the moment, which burns it burns his, his stomach on the inside, so he screams in pain after he's had it. And it also, because of the problems we've got with his gastrostomy, it leaks out and burns his skin oh. as well. Um, so that's really problematic. Plus, he keeps having vomits in the middle. It tends to be about 11 o'clock at the moment, so his feed won't go on till 12 o'clock, which means the feed's from 12 till 1, and then this all starts again at 5 o'clock. So it's, it, it's a lot. Um, and he also has about seven nappies overnight at the moment. Um wet and dirty so yeah so we've got carers at the moment but god knows how long for and, and are they coming in every night at the moment they do four nights four nights a week okay. 
Yeah. Okay. So then the other three nights, it's you, you, it's, yeah. Yeah. He's in my bed. You're you're just trying yeah. to plow through. Yeah. Well, he is a delight, though. I want to make that clear. He's absolutely he's such a joyful child. He's a pleasure to be around. I know. I every every time I see photos or videos of him, he's got such a beautiful big smile and his big gorgeous expressive eyes as well he yeah, looks he's he, just, he looks joyful and he's doing so well compared to you know if i look back to that three month old jackson where he had all of these diagnoses and he still obviously got the list of diagnoses but it really didn't look good people didn't think he was gonna live past a year in reality they were the conversations that i had with professionals and he is doing so so well even cognitively and his learning and his interaction with people and his speech and his physical mobility it's not where another three-year-old will would be at this point but it's That's absolutely brilliant for him and obviously the fact that he's so happy just makes everything so much easier and, and you know. oh, I think I think as parents there's a, a lot measured on our child's happiness mm. no matter what the situation navigating sort of single single parenthood and mm. I suppose sometimes having a crisis of confidence of is it hard for, you know, my son, Billy, kind of, you know, the co-parent or different elements yeah. that, co- that come with that? And it's always kind of comes back to... Is he happy? Is he happy? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And so you've done some amazing kind of advocacy work around Sen. And I know you were on Good Morning um <laughs> Was it last year or the year before? Uh, I think it was the year before, actually, 2019, I think. That was seemed to be a really great way of raising awareness. You know, did you find that that had a sort of useful impact? Um, I think it's always helpful to see other people in your position. So I don't, I might not know personally, um, but I know that, like those days when I was in hospital, I used to beg, is there anybody else in my position? You know, I'd ask the professionals and they'd be like, oh, no, I don't know any parents in your position, just because I was on the wrong wards, really. Um, but, you know, all of the apps at the time that I had, um, you know, Emma's Diary or the Bounty, the ones that you, you were, you go to back then, there was, yeah. I could, I would, I remember searching their websites and there was nobody in my position. There was nobody with a child that had medical needs or disabilities at that time. And it was, it just felt so isolating and alone. So all I ever really hope is that somebody can see that and just be like, oh, it's not just me, you know? Or they could maybe on the this morning, when I went on this morning, the whole reason of me going on there was because they were cutting carers and I was saying, I cannot do this. Like, I cannot mm. do this without carers. It's, and I my main concern was him. Like, I ca- one person t- cannot provide the 24-7 care that he requires. As much as I would absolutely love to be able to do that, I have to admit, I'm not superhuman. I do need to score points. I will crash. And when I do, it's going to be him that misses the medication. Absolutely. That chokes on his vomit and I'm not there to sit him up, you know? Yeah. Um, and so that was more about a fight for his rights, really. And I think I, I would hope that just seeing somebody else put their foot down and say, no, that's not acceptable. My child deserves better would give somebody else the, the, the umph, you know, to be like, okay, I can fight this, you know, I can argue this. It's not just what they say goes, 
you know, that I can I can argue um, and stick up for myself and, and my rights and my basic human rights. And so I would hope in that way it has. I can't say for certain. I mean, I've had... In- of course it has, Katie. <laughs> of, cor- of course it has. There was such a huge wave of, I suppose, one disbelief mm-hmm. like that. You know, you were actually having to fight fight for such a basic human human mm-hmm. right, and of course, like such a wave of support for you. And I'm sure that so many people watching it who have the same struggles felt less alone because of it. And I'm sure there is so much good that it did on so many levels. Yeah, I would hope as well that they would see the support that I've got and realize that they can get that too as well because the support yeah. I got was so overwhelming. It was absolutely wonderful and it got me through. I wouldn't have got to where I got to without people supporting me and showing that compassion and care and saying, no, Katie, that's not right. And that still stands to this day where there'll be things where, you know, like I say, his daily vomiting and I'll be, you know, stressed about pulling my hair out about it. And it'll be the people that message me and say, no, it's not right. It's not right. Yes, put a complaint in that just give me that that validation and that little that little piece of hope that actually no I should send that complaint you know I'm not a bad person for saying absolutely because it can become like that can start to feel like that because nobody wants to keep complaining and keep saying you don't want to be that negative Nancy (laughs) Um, yeah you you can start to question your own things you know oh is that should this be normal should I just you know be getting on with it is there something wrong with me that means that you know you know I can't I'm saying I can't provide this but maybe I should be able to you know and it's not to become a really heavy weight on your shoulders and so a lot of the time the support and just the compassion of other people just saying no you know it it really helps and I hope that people see the support I've got and and realize that they can get that for themselves and it is out there because obviously we so many people saw it with me how many people that a lot of people weren't in my position that were just that stood up and said no and you know and and egged me on and helped us get to where we are so I guess it's just a restoring faith in humanity really absolutely and just speaking from kind of you know my position as a single parent and the reason why I created Frollo was to have support in the single parent experience and it has been an absolute game changer because just having access to other people who can understand what you're going through and you know where you can support each other where you feel less less alone like we all fundamentally need that Mm. for our own like sanity Um, it makes such a difference so speaking of which what what do you do for self-help and how do you fit in anything for for yourself i hope that you have some some katie hacks on how to make time for yourself um i think do you know what i just let it go i think there's so many like do this do that do the other and i think it all boils down to do what you need to do at that time you know sometimes i'll be like oh i, I really need to run myself a hot bath later and just relax and it'll get to the evening and I'm shattered. And going in the bath feels like hard work. And I'm just like, oh, just go to bed. You don't need to do like, to go and have that bath to feel self-care. Self-care is actually what your body needs, which is sleep. Just go to sleep. You know what I mean? So sometimes I feel like we can 
tell ourselves, you know, do that face mask, do, and actually what you're telling yourself is to do more things. I totally hear you. To, to provide yourself a safe case. I think a lot of the time it is just listening to your own body and just standing up for yourself is, is definitely self-care as well. And saying, no, I can't do this or no, that's not okay. Is definitely a huge part of it. But finding time for me at the moment, his dad uh, sees him at the weekends. So that definitely helps um, a huge amount. But then, then in those times, it's just like, what do I do? I feel a bit lost <laughs> to be honest. I'm sure you can relate as single parents of like, yeah, what do I actually do? The contrast. Um, yeah, it's yeah. hard. It's a hard balance. Um, but yeah, watch Netflix and chill. Go to sleep. Sleep is my best that, friend. That's self-care. <laughs> that, is, that is, of course, sleep is the ultimate weapon in life, yeah. I find. Yeah. <laughs> And I know that you and Jackson have been on some amazing trips together. Yeah. So speaking about like some of the fun adventures that you've had together, which might kind of encourage other parents in the same situation to give them confidence to to do some of the things that you've done. Yeah, you're you're a brave woman, Katie. <laughs> I mean, I, I, like even just as a single parent, I find well, a lot of single parents, I think, find travel to be a daunting prospect mm. sometimes but you've just yeah absolutely gone there taking the bull by the horns and I I, I can't remember where was it Spain did you go to Spain I've been to a few places with me I think the driving factor was for me travel has always been therapy anyway it's like an essential mm. escapism getting on a plane is just the biggest thrill um so that was pre-Jackson anyway. And then when he was born with so many complex diagnoses and, you know, I had his life hanging over my head, the only thing I wanted to do was travel the world with him. That's all I wanted to do. I remember at one point sitting down with the nurse and we were waiting for a genetic result and the result was that the doctors expected that it was this one condition that, that gave him a, life, a year to live. And I remember saying to her, like, if they say that, I need to get him out of here. Like, I don't want him to spend the year in here. I need to get him out of here and I need to take him around the world. I need to get his feet in all the sand, his whole body in the sea. You know, that was my motive the whole time. Yeah. And so when it came, so that that test came back negative, thank God. But obviously, still had the hospice involvement and the child bereavement because of his heart condition, um, and that is to this day is still a life threatening condition for him. But it kind of just drove me. There wasn't sort of the time to wait, you know. It wasn't time to think about it and you know weigh up all the pros and cons. It was just I'm going to do this. I don't know how. I don't know, you know. I don't know the logistics of it, but I'm going to do it. And at first, I was with uh, my partner. So I think when we went on holiday, we'd been together for about six months and Jackson was one which was really early days but he had become really quite because I was living in the hospital he would come and you know bring me food he brought me Mother's Day gifts you know the lot um and so we went on holiday with him for the first so that was a huge help that there was someone else there um and he would do like the night feeds and I would do the day and then we went on holiday about six months maybe four months four or five months later the following january so we went in august and we went in january to cape verde and i had an argument with this partner and they left me oh no <laughs> left me on the island 
Um, on the holiday yeah and i would never ever we went to cape verde and i googled it at first and it said that because i had to check there was a hospital there and it was like yeah there's a hospital then when we landed it turns out cape verde is a number of different islands and there was a hospital on one of the islands so i was absolutely freaking out because if i was ever going to travel with jackson on my own i would have you know thought of these of things course. probably would have gone yeah. somewhere much much closer much closer to home spain europe somewhere like that mm-hmm. um and i kind of got thrown in the deep end then because i was there and i was on my own and i just had to get on with it and i think a lot of my, my life has been you know <laughs> back into a corner you don't have a choice there's no thinking about this just get on with it and i did a, a vlog on youtube it's still there um for this particular holiday and in the vlog i'm saying you know whilst whilst my partner at the time was there I had booked for us to go on this catamaran trip and you know it would have been the three of us and I'd still got these tickets but he wasn't there anymore and I was like I can't go on a catamaran with him and I was like can I can't I and I was weighing it up and I was the night before I was like no I'm not gonna do it it's not worth it I take enough risks like whatever it would just have to go to the beach or something and I woke up in the morning I went on the catamaran I did (laughs) it was absolutely bonkers I was on there with this feeding tube and this child with all these medications on my own in the middle middle of nowhere in the sea um and it was a day-long thing but and then from that I think after then I have I don't have family in Madrid but I appeared for a family in Madrid a couple of years before and I'm still in touch with them and they were all saying come and stay with us so I said oh can we come and stay with you so my next trip I took him to Madrid and they were at work and stuff so we had the home base and we had the familiarity of people that I knew, a family that I knew that could speak the native language that, you know, would know where a hospital is or what to do if we needed to go to hospital, that kind of thing. Um, Yeah. And then I think the next one was I took him to Dubai on my own eventually. And that was probably the biggest one. That was the hardest as well, because I was blending foods at that time. Um, instead of giving him the prescription formula through his feet, through his tube on a pump, I was blending real foods to put through the formula. And it was quite complex. Um, wow. We needed like an apartment, a self, so I couldn't stay in a hotel where, you know, no matter what was going on and how tired we were, I could go down to the restaurant and, you know, it was all inclusive. You'd eat and whatever and get on with stuff. It was like, you've got to, you've got, you're still doing the same things you do at home of cooking and cleaning and washing. Um, so that was actually, um, a, it was hard than expected, but every single one has been worth it. And every single one, the memories have outweighed the difficulty of it. And I just think if I can do it with Jackson, with his list of diagnoses, with all of his medical insurance needs, with, you know, the threat of X, Y, and Z, anyone can do it, honestly. Like it's absolutely, you just got to take the ball by the horns and just book it and go and you won't regret it I love that and so where is on your bucket list for you and Jackson oh. after COVID times when we're on the other side I know, it feels so strange now thinking about travel after everything's gone on it's so hard do you know I was looking at I really want to take him to the ball teams but I think that might be slightly out of budget <laughs> I think you know, dream aim high, aim high, dream big. Um, but otherwise, I think like I'd quite like to do European city breaks with him, um, Italy, France, Spain, those kind of things. Um, but then again, I always tell myself actually it's a lot easier to do you 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 Spanish or European or anywhere all inclusive hotel 
package holidays when you're taking a child yeah. on your own because you know that you can go to the restaurant and grab some food or you can get a drink. Do you know what I mean? You're, exactly. You're it's just there. Everything being, you know, you're across the, across the path to the restaurant and to the pool and everything and everything's really close in proximity. So I don't yeah. know. Who knows? We'll have to see. Have you got any trips, any ideas? Do I have any trips in the pipeline? I can't say I do, Katie. (laughs) I've been too nervous to even like think about planning anything because it's just been like, there's no real confidence around booking anything right now. But I think the first trip will have to be back to to Dublin to see friends and family. But I just don't know when that's going to be. It's such a strange time. Look, this time next year, we will all be on our summer holidays having the time of our lives, I hope. Yeah. And so what would your advice be to somebody who is, say, at the beginning of their journey with a child that has SEND needs? Um, I would say take it day by day. Don't, you know, you can spend hours and hours researching and just give yourself a headache. Um, and I think there's there's definitely a balance, but it will come with time probably the key things is just self-care is to to whatever you need do that if you need to spend all night researching spend all night researching if you need to sleep sleep like do whatever you need because it's it's going to be a long it's going to be a long trip and it's going to become your normal and it takes some time to adjust and that's absolutely fine everything takes time to adjust to every change in the world takes time to adjust to and it all it, it will all work out you won't believe it <laughs> but it will form a support network blog then get out right if you need to write it down write it down anything you need to do to get your thoughts out of your heads and clarification and you know search for the services but if they're not there do what you need to do and yeah find build a support network google search blogs search instagram search social media search hashtags that's literally what I did at the beginning. I, I found people that I found through hashtags on Instagram. Like that was the, the beginning of my support network. Wow. Well, well, well done. I'm sure you have paved the way for creating the, the, the send community. Um, I wouldn't take that badge of one of <laughs> I think you've raised a lot more awareness than you give yourself credit for. And then finally, Katie, if you were to go back in time and speak to yourself that, you know, at the beginning of this journey, mm. what would you tell yourself? I'd probably just say you're doing everything you can. You're doing everything right. I would. I don't think I'd change a thing. I wouldn't try and change anything just say what's meant to be or be and it you know you're doing a great job that's lovely katie it has been so lovely chatting with you and honestly i am in complete awe of your courage and strength you're you're, you are you are one of a kind Um, But you are, you really, really are. Thank you for sharing your and Jackson's story with with me and the listeners. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for anyone that's listening. (laughs) Where can people find you if they don't already know about your page? Mainly Instagram, at the nurse mum. And then that kind of signposts anywhere else. But that's potentially where I live these days. (laughs) Perfect. Amazing. Okay, Katie. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Zoe. You're doing brilliantly yourself. Oh, 
Thank you. And thank you everyone for listening. See you next time. If you would like to connect with other single parents in your area, as well as a wider community of single parents and access support and advice easily, download the Frodo app and join us. Otherwise, head to our website, www.frolo.com and sign up to our newsletter to stay connected to us. All the links are in the show notes. To help us reach more single parents, it really helps us when you subscribe to this podcast and leave us a rating and review. So we would be really grateful if you could take a minute to do so. You've been listening to Frolo, the single parent podcast, and I really hope you enjoyed this episode. Until next time, have a great week.